But then the Buddhists pointed it because they came and started writing in Sanskrit, made Sanskrit publicly accessible, no, no restrictions. And then for a while the Brahmins were in disarray because they were disrupted. The Buddhist was a Buddhism is a disruption, according to him. So now the Brahmins have to come back. It's like the empire strikes back. So now the Brahmins have to come back, and that comeback is through Ramayana. It has been a, it is not anything historical, but it is a comeback strategy. So by bringing this, they are again taking all the same old myths in the Vedas, which have to do primarily with power, but now making it into popular story. Okay. So this divinity of Ram is uh, that whole issue has to do with that, and Ram, Ram's uh, fatal, fatal kind of character. And, and he also then uh, goes on in uh, politicizing the whole tradition, Sanskrit, and as the whole. You see, the interesting thing is that his work is so modularized that uh, that to really get all the motives in the context, the context of one paper is written in another paper. Yes. So you have to read all of it. Many times, each time you read it, then you get the you have new insight into the whole thing. So this locating his Ramayana in the overall thing will help you add more insight. Uh, thank you for a very well presented paper. Um, to my mind, a, a major theme which can contradict much of what you say here that. Ramayana, as many other texts, what they are about is that there is in the Indian tradition no sharp divide between the human and the divine. That the divine takes avatar in very human form, lives by very human standards, is judged by very human standards. And the fact that even in the Valmiki Ramayana, Many of Ram's actions are commented upon very sharply in negative terms, be it uh, Sita's Agni Pariksha or rejection, the kind of horror that Valmiki evokes at Ram's actions. Uh, it's very clear that Valmiki doesn't want you to endorse, on the contrary, uh, condemn those actions. And this free will thing, I think it can also be responded to by saying that it's not just that Ram had or didn't have, but that through ages, there have been hundreds of versions of Ramayana where Ram is made to act differently. In many, um, uh, he is not allowed to act in a way, and if you remember when Ramanand Sagar's TV Ramayana was being, Ramanand Sagar himself came on the screen to say before the Agni Pariksha episode, he was flooded with letters from viewers saying, you dare not show, you dare not show Ahri Pariksha because we were not willing to accept it. And therefore, then he used the whole Chaya Zita concept. So the point that I'm trying to make is far from free will. It's not just that Ram and his free will is uh, not, can't be under question because these are all choices he makes. But even ordinary mortals have the free will to condemn Ram, the Maryada Purushottam, the avatar. And the other thing, you know, when Rajiv talked about, uh, I mean, this whole Pollock thesis that this is Brahmanism um, responding to the disarray caused by, but Ramayana is Valmiki, is not a Brahman. Uh, so it cannot obviously be a Brahmanical panic response. Uh, it's coming uh, from other sources. 
so uh, there's a lot more I would have liked to talk to you about, but I enjoyed your paper. There's a lot more in the paper also I know. to discuss, but exactly, and you left the end, you know, saying we have to, uh, we can't do it without the first principles, and I would have loved to hear how you describe those first principles, but I guess there's no time. But thank you, thank you very much. Just a little note uh, before, while the mic comes, I think I can be loud enough with the chair's permission. You know, while we are noticing what the strengths of each paper are, we should see how she's brought in Kumaraswamy, which, uh, who, who Pollock does not quote at all. She brought in the idea of, you know, regnum and sacerdotum, which is there in the, uh, the, the uh, Kumaraswamy book. So Pollock is not doing his own research. Where others have spoken about kingship, the relationship between uh, the Kshatriya and the Brahmana in the tradition, he, he doesn't even bother his, in his arrogance to look at even a scholar of the stature of Kumaraswami. And he just glosses over that and gives his own political interpretation. So this is important, that how we can use other scholars. The other thing that's important is how we now shifted from looking at Pollock's essays to looking at his translations, because this is the first paper on his translation, right? Because eventually the Murti library is all about translation. So by looking at the introduction to his translation, we get another view of how Pollock's Indology operates in wider spheres of influence. Because a translation appears a very innocent exercise unless you really very carefully tease out its implications. But uh, I think she's mined a very brief introduction, which I must have read but didn't notice so much. So it's a wonderful job you did to look at this brief introduction and show us all the red flags as you, as you uh, phrased it. Uh, and about the date, I'm not sure, because in the Clay Library, it's a 2005 text. It's a reprint. It's a reprint. Yeah. Who published it first? Oh, I see. So I'm thinking think these things are very important to get the chronology right, to see how one thing translates into the other. And uh, I think that overall, uh, the desacralization of the Ramayana and the Avatar Purush is the main thrust. This is the main agenda. Everything else kind of fits into that. Uh, good paper. There's uh, uh, another article by Pallavi Shreem. In fact, everyone who's doing Ramayana. It's a paper on uh, Rakshasa. Okay. I don't know the exact title, but the word Rakshas is in the title. So that is where he's showing the our negatives, demonic tendencies, hatred, all that projecting onto these characters called Rakshasas, are mm -hmm. uh, uh, hatred towards outsiders. And then later he brings it into the Ramayana to say that uh, this whole uh, of the Rakshas and the Ravan and all that is a projection onto Muslims. Mm. You know, he's yes, yes, very clear. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. 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 Uh, so then he goes further. So I'm just trying to locate that how the Ramayana, you have to locate it to this bigger context. So the, he says that the Ramayana was not a very popular thing until the Muslim invasion, the Turkish invasion. At which time the Hindu kings needed a story to otherize and, go and mobilize all the rabble rouse all the Hindus to go after these Muslim invaders. And therefore the Ramayana was mobilized for that purpose. 
and he says at least for the last thousand years, if not earlier, the Ramayana has been its primary purpose has been political, anti-Muslim, and therefore the Babri Masjid thing was not a surprise because this is a pattern is part of the Ramayana DNA. This is what he said. Only we had done it. My God. And it was planned. You know, when yes. all <laughs> the no, 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 but let's let's stick to the. Let's stick to the. Let me continue, please. Let me. Uh, I'm explaining. Okay. So I think what you have to connect is there are these points that the first speaker brought, which are about the Ramayana itself on a standalone basis. Then you have to connect how it fits into other modules he's built. You know, you brought in the Vico and all that, all that stuff, and the whole. Uh, then it taken further into uh, the whole Hindu-Muslim issue. Now he says somewhere very sharp, interesting point. He says that uh, Hindus have a myth to otherize outsiders and a different myth to otherize others of their own kind, cousins. Mahabharat is the myth of uh, demonic treatment, hating and as enemies your own people, which is now being applied to Dalits because they are our own people. They are not outsiders. They are our own people. So when you want to hate and attack and kill your own people, the Mahabharat contains the mythic uh, devices and when you want to go after Muslims, the Ramayana creates them. So this is very interesting, uh, very sharp kind of, uh, very intelligent fellow. I mean, this weird stuff for us, but it is important for you to understand that. Now the comment on Campbell, be careful. Our people just love him because he says great things. But he lived to be like 104 or 106 or something and he made a U-turn in his later years. And you should read a book called, uh, I think it's either called Brahmin and Bakshish or Bakshish and Brahmin. I haven't read it, but I yeah. not You should read that. That is his U-turn moment where he talks about this whole system of corruption. This whole Brahmin, Brahmin and Hinduism and all system of corruption. After that, he changes all of, all of that stuff. So be, be careful. And he was a prime student of Jung. And in the 1930s, Jung was teaching uh, all these, he was teaching Patanjali, he was teaching Kundalini, you know, all the Tantras, he was teaching all of that stuff with great respect. And then he comes to India and does his U-turn when he is about to meet Raman Maharshi but refuses to meet him. You know that whole story. And uh, Joseph Campbell was in charge of taking all the notes of Jung and turning it into these 20, 30 volume collected words. So Joseph Campbell is a product of that. He took all that further and then he made his U-turn. So you may want to read that. Well, actually, after your readings, recently when I read some of his work because of this paper, I found some of the flaws, yes. which I didn't earlier. Yes. Because we take it at face value and we yes. think he's teaching us something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, with the permission of the chair, uh, thank you for this uh, presentation. Rajiji, uh, uh, when we are trying to understand the Bullock's methodology, then I certainly feel that we need to view his 1984 paper very specifically because, you see, when he is doing the uh, um, literature review of other Western scholars, then also he is characterizing them as two groups. So one is uh, uh, this Lassen, Muir, Goriswa and Weber, and he says that they raise their suspicion regarding the divine aspect of Ram and uphold the view that they are later extensions of the poem, and while the original is devoid of Ram's divinity. So this is one kind of scholarship. Second, he says that authors like Ruben, Govindaraj and Goldman shared a view that such non-identification of Ram's divinity may actually have been deliberate and intention. So see the contrast that he says. Intention to establish a long commentarial Indian tradition and scholarship. 
he takes on a different flight, even <coughs> away from D.D. Kosambi, who does a strict material reading of Ramayana. He, he, he says further that it can be a function, this scholarship can be a function of Indian aesthetics embedded in Indian culture and art. And Ram's divinity as such aspects may well be embedded in the higher narratives. He is taking on that too as his methodology. And then on based on higher uh, narratives, he defines bona fide and authentic sources are not just the textual matters uh, which is presented as as written form, but based on the implicit notions which may be embedded from in the Guru Sishya Parampara. He is identifying that. But he himself dissociates from all this scholarship and when uh, goes on to deconstructing uh, uh, Ram's divinity, yeah. you see, and that that is where the problem lies because uh, uh, Kola con conjectures that the divine hero aspect is in itself a constitutive theme of the tale, independent of interpolations embedded in Vedas and Sanskrit literature. So you see, yes. in this light, he is now trying to uh, uh, desecretize our whole tradition. Yeah. So so this is the larger perspective, just based based on one incident and that too based on a strict literature review of his own Western scholarship as well as Indian. Right. So he's not uh, very Makaran. You picked up on this very good. I think uh, I would emphasize what Makaran said earlier, a very important point. Hidden in this translation is a whole shift in inter a, a kind of who is Ram, what is Ramai, what is our philosophy, what is sacred. So you know, under this very innocent looking thing called I'm this translator, exactly. the That's editor right. can what change is. our whole System. That's very powerful. Yeah, so, so what he said that he's not just a simple man. We cannot yeah, say no, no, no. He's a brilliant man. Very brilliant. Very brilliant and very strategic. And his methodology is also uh, saying something. He's dissociating Let's himself from Singhosambi. We have pushed yeah. for the process. As well as from uh, all the yeah. Western. Yeah, a little practical suggestion on your remark that the Rakshasas and particularly Ravana are not demonized. You see, the part of the genius of, of Hindu civilization is precisely that uh, nuanced and balanced look at people's moral, moral qualities. Both in the Ramayana and in the Mahabharata, every hero ultimately has done something in his past by which he deserves his fate. And every villain, you see, also has some very positive qualities. And so, you see, he deserves projecting internationally as opposed to what Pollock here pretends, um, Hinduism has very much, you know, what we call in the West, uh, a doctrine of uh, just war, that is to say, a way of limiting conflicts, of, of keeping them in their context and making their damage as little as possible. In this case, also the human damage. You see that this tendency to demonize, you know, to, of war psychology, that this does not take over that you keep seeing people in all their different nuances. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I would like to uh, perform a kind of metacritical role and see if it's self-reflexive. So I think, Charu, I found in your paper this sort of, uh, what should I say, you know, when we are, you know, in academics, many people here are not, and we are surrounded by the left liberals, then what do we do? We say, look, look at the Ram Leela, look at it on, on the ground. And it's very liberal, you don't demonize Ravan. See, Muslims also are involved, they play. So what we're doing is, we are, we are countering Pollock. 
by showing how liberal we are, so to speak. So in a way, the, yeah, not only being defensive, but being very sort of guilt-ridden. Not that it's bad, but I'm saying being self-reflexive. But I think what you bring to the table, the new thing, is to actually look at popular culture critically, which is very important, because there's a whole discourse around popular culture where they looked at uh, Ramanand Sagar's Ramayana, which, by the way, is not based on Valmiki. I think Madhu has gone. So this Chaya Sita is actually a part of Manas. Yeah, it is, it is, it is mainstream. It's not as if some people wrote to Ramanand Sagar. It's originally from the Adhyatma Ramayana. Yeah, Adhyatma Ramayana is but Valmiki is not. So, anyhow, so I'm saying, in a very interesting way, Valmiki Ramayana is not the dominant tradition. It is the Kamban and the Manas and the Kritibas. These are local Ramayana. Anyhow, let's see. This was an aside, but my point is what you bring is an analysis of popular culture because the bulk of the material on the Ramanan Sagar Ramayana is by left liberals who want to show that it coincides with the rise of Hindutva uh -huh. and prepares the ground for BJP's UPA 13 months and then you, uh, sorry, NDA, the, you know, and then the first NDA one. So this whole so to speak, alarmist and uh, again somebody was saying demonization. Now they are not Hindus, so they certainly demonize us. And so all of this is grist to their mill. And they don't look at Ram Leela, they look at dominant uh, popular culture in Bollywood or in uh, television. So, uh, so I think what you do is, that this is great, but methodologically, basically, uh, it's like you are internalizing his critique and saying, look, we are liberal. We are not using the Ramayana to other people, you know, to other, our others. But I think we'll go much deeper. And then I just want to make a footnote to this Vico business. Jiam Batista Vico, where is that coming from? And I think in Bhaiji's book, it's not properly disambiguated. You see, Vico is seen as the, so to speak, father. He's the sleeper you know, of the Enlightenment. In other words, that Vico is seen as the father of humanistic and social science work rather than science. Descartes is the father of science. So the basic premise in Vico is verum is different from certum. C-E-R-T-U-M, certum. So verum means what is really sort of, you know, verifiable truth which is scientific. So even the Dalai Lama will say, we are, you know, wherever Buddhist texts defy modern science, throw it away. But the certum, that is constructivist. So, so Vico is constructivist. Now, so what? Now, Vico was used by Said. Yeah. Why? Because Said wanted to inaugurate a secular criticism. Humanities of the modern kind is based on secular criti critique. So, look at Pollock's genealogy. Via Said, he's re. Uh, bringing in Vico to say certain means what people believe. It's not verifiable, it's not empirical, it's not scientific truth, it's humanistic truth. So we can use Vico against Pollock by saying Pollock is creating a new mythology, the so-called secular mythology, where traditional uh, sacred ideas are being deconstructed, demonized. So, so we should read Vico against Pollock rather than saying, look, Vico is a rationalist. In fact, he's not. He's not following 
See, the, the line of Vico is the hermeneutical line. It's not the line of Descartes, Kant, and Hegel, which is the rationalist line, which says that Europeans have reason, others don't have reason. Anyhow, thank you. But also, we be careful that uh, uh, Pollock explicitly rejects sight. When he explicitly, so you can't say that he got into, he has, he has a Pollock view of Vico. No, exactly, but Saeed was the guy in humanistic scholarship who rehabilitates Vico. Right. In fact, as a counter to Marx, because he finds Marx to construct no, but so if you look at he rejects Saeed, therefore he doesn't get Vico through Saeed. No, no, but it's, a ge he see, we, we it's, it's genealogy. See, yeah. humanistic scholarship. No, no, wait a second. I'm going to let me say the last paragraph. I'm saying why he rejects Saeed. He espouses Vico himself directly. No, no, I know, but he, he rejects Saeed because he doesn't want to be a post-colonialist. Yeah. See, Pollock's strategy is to say, I'm not a post-colonialist, I'm a Sanskritist, I'm a classicist, and I'm telling you this. But I'm saying both are using Vico, so in that sense, they're invoking a kind of father figure within the Western Enlightenment of humanistic and social science methodology as opposed to science methodology. That's my point. So we have to get the complexity of these invocations and then their intellectual genealogies have to be properly disambiguated, not necessarily just simplified and then just said, oh, well, this is this, we are not rational, you guys are rational. No, no, it's more, more complicated. So Vico is actually an opportunity. Vico is a way to justify how, see, Hayden White, when he deconstructs the idea of history, he's using Vico by saying history is not fact, history is narrative. So basically we're trying to say that Pollock is not fact, Pollock is narrative. So we use hermeneutical tools to deconstruct Pollock. Just as Pollock is using hermeneutical tools to deconstruct Rama and Mahabharata Shastras by saying, hey, these are not uh, science, these are just myths or these are just constructs and we should question constructs through critical uh, hermeneutics. So we should apply critical hermeneutics on Pollock. That is what the difference, the problem is, the difference between that and our, our project is that that is a project which says let's use, uh, let's use post-colonial, post-modernist critiques on themselves. Okay, that's very good for you if you're trained in that. But if you want to bring in the insider who's not trained in that, he'll have to go and become Ananya Vajpayee to become trained in that and then he'll, he'll stay into that mode. And that is what we don't want. That's a chakra view. But I think somebody mentioned Vico, so I gave a comment. Nah, I know what he can. That's my but our, our sense is, we state the problem, we state From the full function, full function as to what he's saying. Yeah. Now, whether he's he's got a contradiction in the way he's using Vico and we could use it against him, that's a different issue. We're saying that is his position. Now, how do we refute him from our hermeneutics, from our history, from our siddhant? don't understand Vico, you're not a part of the discourse. My point is that. You need a bi-topical hermeneutics. It's not enough just to know your stuff because this is a very difficult Kurukshetra. That's the point. And later we can reject the critical hermeneutics. The thing is that to refute them, to dislike in the book, in the Nagan, you have to defeat them by playing a game on their rules. Huh? And of course, in that movie, we succeed. But Ananya Vajpayee was sent to learn their system and come back, a couple of says, sent to learn their system in order to defeat them on their terms.
but she actually turned out became part of their life. So there is that risk also. Of course.